0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this morning we're wrapping up really the main body of Paul's text in his, to the church at Colossae. Next week, as you can see, we've got a little bit of work left, but it's kind of his final greetings, the, 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 the final closing of the letter, which, is, which are interesting. We'll get into them a little bit next week. But really when it comes to the main body of his text, this is kind of his wrap-up. And when we look at, at it with just its first glance, it can kind of seem like Paul is just saying, I'm running out of room, I'm wrapping the letter up, let me just kind of pepper in, okay, there's a few things. Be in prayer, steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it, pray for us, watch how you walk, make good use of your time, speak graciously. And if we read it that way, I think it certainly has benefit to just take a list of all these different things Paul is saying we ought to do and to make that list and to try to live uh, according to that list in a way that honors God is certainly going to be a good way to live. But I do think Paul is driving at a centralized point still in this text. And we've remarked over the last uh, few weeks, this section is really getting into the, the nitty gritty of the Christian life. The supremacy of Christ Marches right into every area of your life, and nothing is left hidden from his sovereign reign. You do not have your eyes opened to Jesus as the sovereign king of the universe, and then lock him up in the hall closet. It's like working forever for the, the greatest, you know, some great purchase that you want to make. And then you go and you, you get this treasure and then you just stuff it back in your cupboard somewhere and never, never make much of it. You never talk about it, never present it to anyone. If you have a great treasure, you, you put it on display. You don't hide it in your closet. And Christ as the Supreme One has made us new. He's brought us to life. And that has incredible repercussions in every area of your life. That's what Paul has been talking about. The supremacy of Christ fills every area. Your, Your marriage, your family, your employment, your sexuality, your anger, the very words coming out of your mouth, they all belong to Jesus. He is the supreme one. And this is a good thing. When you keep those areas of your life closed off from him, treasured up only to yourself, you you ruin, you not only ruin what goodness there is in this treasure, but then they and then then in turn all of these things as you hide them away, it ruins your own joy in all that Jesus is. So the big idea for the passage this morning is this. The supremacy of Christ fills every corner of your life and runs over into the lives around you. Pray that it would be so. The supremacy of Christ fills every area, every corner of your life, and runs over into the lives around you. And Paul is admonishing the church to pray that it would be so. There's a common way to talk about this passage. It was mentioned in many of the commentaries that I read, and it breaks it up into these two ideas. What Paul is saying here in this passage is that we have an obligation, two things, to talk to God about people and to talk to people about God. We have an obligation to talk to God about people. That doesn't mean a, like in a gossipy way, like we say, talking about someone, but to pray for other people. We ought to talk to God about people and we ought to talk to people about God. Both things ought to be happening in the life of a Christian, talking to God about people and talking to people about God. The central thought in this passage, something of primary importance, is seen here in in verse 4. In verse verse 4, Paul asks him to pray for him and those with him, specifically that there would be a door open in verse 3, that there'd be a door opened for them, that there, this door of opportunity would come to them so that they could declare the mystery of Christ. He wants a door opened up, a great opportunity opened up for them to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And so there's two things about this mystery of Christ. First is, what is the mystery of Christ? Why, why does he want a door of opportunity presented for the, Them to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And then, secondly, why is that such a fascinating prayer coming from Paul right now at the end of this letter? It's fascinating that that's what his prayer is that a door of opportunity would come for the presenting of the mystery of Christ. Now, this isn't the first time Paul's talked about the mystery of Christ. Does that sound familiar? If you've been following along in the book of Colossians several weeks ago, Back in chapter 1, we heard Paul talk about this mystery of Christ. Chapter 1, starting in verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, the church, of which I became a minister. "...according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God shows to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This mystery is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is how God is going to make even Gentiles his very own people. There's this huge overarching biblical truth being referenced here. Think about it this way. God has a problem. Adam and Eve were his people. He created them and he was with them, walked with them in the garden. They knew him. He knew, he knew them. They spoke with him. They had fellowship with God, unbroken fellowship. Fellowship. He gives them this garden, gives them a commission, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But they choose to rebel, right? They rebel against God and his goodness. And as a result, they're cast out of God's presence. And an angel with a flaming sword is put up at the entrance so that no one can get back into the garden. They no longer were going to be able to walk with God. The garden is sealed off. How will we ever... Get to be walking with God again. How will that reconciliation happen? And as we see, we work through the Bible, right? We see that God does intend to rescue a people. Starts off with Abraham, right? We see, well, we could go even further back, but we we could go to Genesis chapter 12. Starts there with Abraham. He gives him a promise that he's going to bless him, but not only that, that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Everyone blessed through him. It's incredible. It's an incredible promise. And all through the Old Testament, it's quite a mystery. How is that going to happen? How is God going to take these people who were his, his creatures, his creation, made in his image and likeness, made for fellowship with him, but broken? How is God going to bring them all back into fellowship with him? God establishes his people through the lineage of Abraham. He gives them a land. He even dwells with them in a temple, right? Solomon, we know, builds the first temple, and God fills it with his glory, and he dwells with them in his temple, albeit divided by a curtain, right? There's a curtain between even the, the most uh, advanced of priests could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year because there is still separation between God God. And his people, there's significant separation. Then enters Jesus. The mystery revealed is that Christ, through His perfect life, His substitutionary death on the cross, through His, He opens the door for God's people. And there's that image in the Gospels, right, where Christ dies and the curtain temple is torn from top to bottom, bottom, that where God is divided from His people, that is now divided. So the problem of how does man walk with God is fixed, is remedied. Reconciliation is brought about by Jesus. All of those who now look to Christ in faith, repenting of their rebellion, believing in the sufficiency of Christ's work, are forgiven of their sin, made righteous in God's sight, and unbelievably, further, the Holy Spirit, Christ descends and he pours out his Holy Spirit such that for those who have put their faith in Christ, God is now with them. The, what we lost in the garden is now brought back to us in that God dwells with his people. His Holy Spirit is with them. Not only can people escape out from under the wrath of God, but God will himself make his home with them and work for their ultimate good. That's the mystery That Paul wants to make known. Do you know that you can actually be objectively made right with God? That God cannot just abstractly be for you, but with a full awareness of the God who was against you because of his wrath, now through the work of Christ, can now be for you, can can take Gentiles, those who are at war with him, those who are his enemies. And make them his beloved children through the work of Christ. That's why Paul says, Him we proclaim. He wants this mystery to be made known, that you can know beyond a certainty, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is for you through the work of Christ. He wants to present everyone mature in Christ. That's the mystery Paul wants to proclaim. But secondly, why is it a surprising request from Paul that he would have doors opened to present this mystery? He says, I want us to get the shock of this passage. He's asking for prayer. And this, Paul does this a lot in his letters. You know, he says, pray without ceasing, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We'll talk about that in a little bit maybe at the same time, he's asking for prayers for them. And what is his request? That God may open a door that this message would go out. Why is that a shocking prayer request? Well, look at the end of verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. You know, when you're in prison, they, 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 you know, I've never been there, but I know from stories, and I've been to the jail at the top of the courthouse, I know that when you go there, they put you in a cell, and then they shut a door behind you. And I can only assume, I've gone and ministered, I've, I've done prison, some prison ministry, and gone and talked with inmates, and boy, I've been in there when they shut the door behind you, and you go to your little, uh, you go to your little conference room, When you're in jail, you know one of your main hopes and requests is you want a door to be opened, and it's the door to the jail. (laughs) You want to go home. You want to get out of that place. You don't want to be stuck inside of a jail. You have a door that you want opened, and it's the door to liberty. It's the door to freedom. It's the door to get back to your life. Paul is stuck in jail. On account of preaching the gospel, and he wants a door opened. But what's the door that Paul wants opened? The door for opportunity to proclaim the mystery of Christ. His first priority is not getting out of jail. (laughs) It is opportunity that Jesus be made known. Wouldn't it make sense that Paul's primary prayer request would be to escape from his suffering in prison? Wouldn't that just make sense? But it isn't. And then we see this from Paul over and over again. If you got your Bibles out, you can look at Philippians um, chapter 1. We're going to read a long section here because we got time this morning. Um, Philippians chapter 1, Paul is in jail as well. This is part of the um, prison epistles. Uh, Philippians and Colossians, both prison epistles. He says, I want you to know, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me, what's happened to him, he's been thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So he has those who are mocking him, talking about the name of Jesus, trying to heap accusation and, and, and um, penalty upon Paul. What's he say? What then? Verse 18 Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The mystery of Christ is going out. No matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, that is Paul's primary desire. Yes, he says, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample to cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. and then he admonishes them because of this reality, verse twenty seven "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. You are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. No matter what they do to you, you're not afraid of them, frightened nothing by your opponents." Whether by life or by death, to honor Christ. At the end of this chapter, he says, You've been given a privilege, not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake, that the gospel would be made known no matter what circumstances happen in your life. Why? Why is he telling them this? To show the supreme value of Jesus Christ over everything. Christ is supreme. It's the whole point of the, the, the title over our series. Christ is supreme, and he is deserving of every ounce of our energy and our very existence. John Bunyan, a famous Puritan writer, wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to get a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory. It's very, it's very easy read, but a lot of just good A lot of good uh, storytelling in there from John Bunyan. But he goes to jail for preaching the gospel. Got a wife, he's got children to take care of. And he's arrested for preaching illegally. He gets put into prison. And they give him this offer. He was told that he would be released if he would just promise to stop preaching. John, we'll let you go. Just stop talking about Jesus These aren't nice prisons. He doesn't have cable TV and you know the the the, all the, the meals and the cot. He's stuck in a in a very primal prison. Just stop preaching. He says, if I am out of prison today, I will preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. Send me back to prison, keep me in prison, whatever you're going to do, this mystery of Christ I must proclaim. That's the consistent heartbeat of this book and the heartbeat embedded even in this closing passage to list off these activities without that heartbeat that the mystery of Christ, who he is and what he has done is so supreme, so worthy of our honor, so worthy of our everything that to list off these activities without that heartbeat is like going and getting a car and and cutting out the floorboards so that you can push it with your feet and stop it with your feet like a Flintstone car. Instead of just, it's, take, it's cutting the heart right out of it. The whole point of doing these activities, the whole point of getting in the cars is has got a motor, it can drive somewhere. The whole point of these activities is because there is a mystery of Christ that is worth sharing with the world. There is a mis- this, this message of the supremacy of Christ and what he has done is the heartbeat that people would hear this good news of who Jesus is. No matter what it may cost us, no matter where it may land us, the prayer that we have is that we would have opportunity to share this mystery, this good news, so people can hear it and rejoice in Christ. So he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, always giving thanks. Why? Christ is at work in 10,000 ways you can't see. None of us can see. He's always at work. And so you pray and you keep your eyes open, being watchful, be aware of his working. Always keep in sight the joy of the mystery that is Christ with you. As you leave, as you go out into the community, as you go home with your families, Christ in you, working in you and through you, be in prayer and be watchful, awakening thankfulness in our hearts. What does it mean to pray watchfully? Well, one commentator says it this way. The Colossians were to pray with mental alertness. Presumably, this meant that they were to know the circumstances of life, particularly those which affected the spread of the gospel. Informed prayer is likely to be more purposeful, personal, and powerful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To pray watchfully is to have an awareness of the need around you, particularly the gospel needs around you. I think we're very quick. When we talk about prayer needs and requests, we'll talk about certain things we want to see differently, circumstantially, certain sicknesses that we want to pray for, certain financial difficulties, all sorts of things going on, and that's good, and we should pray for those things. Paul here, though, his prayer is that for gospel opportunities would be prayed for. Pray with awareness. Be aware of the gospel needs around you. Have you lifted up in prayer those in your life who don't know Jesus? Have you prayed for them? Are you continuing steadfastly in prayer for them, being watchful? Where is God moving in their lives? Where where are conversation opportunities happening? Praying for a great door of opportunity that it would happen for you to talk to them. Have you prayed over the opportunities around you? Super practical this morning. I guess if you're watching at home, we can be practical there too. Take a minute. Who are the people in your life, real people, around you that aren't walking with God in a way that's bringing joy and vibrancy to their life. Write their names down. Pray for them. Talk to God about them, about the concerns you have for them, the way that you would like for them to be closer with Christ. They would have a greater joy in Jesus. Take a moment and name them, write them down. Talk to God about your concerns about them. Who are those people? It's, it's interesting. You might, I've had this happen on an occasion where certain individuals come to my mind and I'd, I'd be praying for them and then all of a sudden I'd run into them at the grocery store or something. I hadn't seen the person A for months but all of a sudden they cross my path. Pray, can steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Talk to God about them. And then, as the passage goes on, talk with them about God. Talk with them about God. Having prayed, have you engaged with them in conversation about God? Blame Darren. You know what? Say, you know what? My pa- Darren, he, he, this is silly, but he, he wanted us that these people that came to, our, you came to my mind, and he said we should just even ask them, How's your walk with, what do you think of God? What's what's going on with you and Jesus right now? I know it's a weird question, but I'll blame it on Darren. He's a little weird anyway. He wants me to talk to you about it. So bring up the question. Talk to God about them and talk with them about this mystery of Christ. Don't waste your time with them. Speak graciously. Salt everything. We could go into a lot about what that means, but the salt, is the idea is that it, it gives it pleasing it gives a pleasing taste to it. It's being gracious conversation. It isn't always just what you say. Sometimes it's how you say it, that you want to be conscious of how you're coming across, that you're, you're not bludgeoning people with the gospel, but that you are appealing to them with the good news of who Christ is and what he has done for them. Talk with God about those in your life and talk with them about God. Walk in wisdom towards them, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, ought to answer each person. That there is conversation that's going on. You're giving answers when they ask. Hopefully, they can see in you your own joy in Jesus, that they might ask, What is Christ's role in your own life? Is Christ supreme? In your life, Because if he is, then he gets the say over every ounce of your existence and the joy of that reality then spills over into those around you. What areas of our lives do we still cling to with the words mine? What areas of our life do we still cling to saying this is mine, this is not something I'm going to give up? Let's give those areas up today, confessing that our lives are not our own and praying that the good news of the gospel will break into the hearts of those around us for their final joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would spread this mystery of of the gospel to the, world, to, the, to the world around us, but God, sometimes that can get so abstract and huge that it means nothing. <laughs> I pray, Father, that the good news of the gospel, this mystery of Christ would spread right in our little neck of the woods, right here in Ringold County, right here with our coworkers, right here with those that we are around day in and day out, those who we go to the grocery store with, those who we see at ball games in various places, Father, this this good news is too valuable. I pray that you would convince us of the supreme worth of Christ, that we would pray like Paul. No matter what's going on in our lives, good, bad, and the thousand variations in between, our heartbeat, our desire is that you would be known, that Christ would be magnified, that a door of opportunity, if life is going wonderfully, if life is going difficultly, if if life is is just in the mixed in the middle of just mundane life in the midst of all of these situations, God, that a door would be opened for us to proclaim the mystery, this good news of who Christ is and all that he has done for sinners like us. Have your way, God, in our hearts and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.